0: This morning, we're going to be looking at Isaiah uh, chapter 42, starting at verse 18. And we're going to look all the way through uh, 44, verse 20. So Isaiah 42, verses 18 through 44, 20. I won't be reading this whole section, um, but uh, I do hope later on after uh, uh, this afternoon that you will take some time to read this section. Uh, There's so much in here. Um, I'm going to read uh, verses... Or 42, 18 through 43, verse 7. Let me remind you, this is God's good and kind and gracious word to you this morning. Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf is my messenger whom I send? Who is blind is my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but he does not observe them. His ears are open but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? in whose ways they would not walk, in whose law they would not obey. And so he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of his battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored. And I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us understand his word. Pray with me, please. Father, you know our spiritual condition. You know our great need today. And you know, Father, that apart from the work of the Spirit inside of us and on us, that we will not be able to understand, we will not be able to hear or even to see. Lord, we pray that by Your grace, by Your mercy, in Your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would see Your great love for Your people this morning. Help us to understand Your work in our midst, and help us to cling tightly to Christ, and help us to do all these things through Your Word, and we pray it in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. When Amy and I were first married, she worked at a special school in Jackson. Called, uh, or Jackson, Mississippi, just to be clear, called Magnolia Speech School. Uh, This was a very special school. uh, It's one of only about, I think, 11 in the nation. Uh, And this school specialized in helping children with language disabilities uh, or with hearing disabilities to speak and to hear. Um, Many of the children that Amy taught uh, were born deaf. Uh, many of them had uh, serious language impairments. And it was amazing to see that they would take in a small class setting these children and would help them uh, in uh, in and with their disability. Um, it was through Amy and through this school that I was first introduced to a miracle of modern medicine called the cochlear implant. Uh, and the cochlear implant is this device that can be implanted uh, back behind your ear And it helps people that were born deaf to be able to hear. Uh, And you can go home and, and you can do this. You can go and watch videos online of babies and toddlers who have been implanted with this device, the cochlear implant. And watch them hear the voice of their mothers or fathers for the first time. And you will not be able to watch these without crying because it's an amazing thing. To see these babies who have never heard the loving voice of their mothers hear it for the first time and realize it. It's an amazing thing to see it. But there's also another group of people that received the cochlear implant. uh, And you can find these videos online as well. As a matter of fact, there's one woman who documented uh, her parents, her elderly parents who were both born deaf, also receiving cochlear implants. And what happened in their journey and receiving uh, the gift of of hearing, now what happened with them is that they received the cochlear implants, and when they turned them on, their initial reaction was not one of joy, but was one of disgust. After so many years of not being able to hear, the things that they heard they didn't like. In the documentary, actually, the ones that I watched, it followed the parents as eventually they got to where they just didn't want to hear at all. They had gotten used to a life without hearing, and they preferred it that way. Well, I think that is an analogy for what we see here in this passage. And Isaiah uses the analogy or the metaphor for hearing or deafness and blindness... In terms of our spiritual condition, this is a very common metaphor that's used by the biblical writers to talk about what we're like and what our spiritual condition really is. What's really striking is the way not it is not our spiritual condition, but the way that God responds to our spiritual condition. And he responds to it in really, really interesting and striking ways. So again, this morning, we're looking at this larger chunk of Isaiah. It's a lot uh, to kind of put your head around. Uh, I want you to see kind of the basic pattern of this passage. Um, And the basic pattern is like this. Isaiah will uh, present the spiritual condition of God's people uh, and what they're like. And then as soon as he does that, he presents God's response to that spiritual condition. And then after he presents God's response, he, also, he goes back again to talking about the spiritual condition. And then he goes back to doing the response. And then he goes back to doing that. It kind of goes over and over in this passage. Uh, but this morning, I want to look at this pattern. I want to look at the way that, that these things work out in three ways. I do want us to first see our spiritual condition. Secondly, we're going to see God's unusual work regarding our spiritual condition. And then thirdly, God's final answer Uh, to our spiritual condition. So let's begin by looking at our spiritual condition. uh, And that is going to see this uh, just to kind of keep in mind in this large section where we are. Chapter 42, verses 18 through 23. And then also in chapter 43, verses 22 and 24. And then also in chapter 44, verses 9 through 20. So it's a lot of material for us to go through. But there you go. This is our spiritual condition. Imagine for a moment that you are born, for some reason or another, in a dark cave well below uh, the surface of the earth. No light can reach you whatsoever. There's no flashlights. You're so far down, the sunlight can't reach you. And so you're born into darkness. Now, you have eyes, but you cannot see anything because there's no light in the darkness. Well, that's how we begin today. That's how Isaiah begins this passage. Isaiah is addressing those that cannot see for various reasons. They are deaf and they are blind. This is a continuation of the point that he made last week. Look at chapter 42, verse 16, the the verse right above this, or, or a few verses right above this. He's talking about the servant of the Lord who comes out and who saves. And he says this, I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn darkness before them into light. The rough places into level ground. These are the things that I do. Well, he says that. He says that the servant of the Lord is going to save the blind and the deaf. Well, the natural question that would arise then is, well, who are the blind and the deaf ones that need saving? And the answer, interestingly enough, as to who are the blind and the deaf ones, he gives it in verse 19. He says, "Who? look at there, Who is blind but my servant, or deaf is my messenger whom I send. Who is blind is my dedicated one, or blind is the servant of the Lord. It's two different servants he's talking about. One servant is a servant that saves, and then there's another servant that needs saving. So now he switches from talking about the servant who's doing the saving to the servant who needs saving. So who is this? He says it's his dedicated ones. It's his own people. Now look at what his people are like in verse 20. He sees many things, but he does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. This is the spiritual condition. This is what we are like. We are born into this world in a world of darkness with eyes and with ears. And yet, even though we have eyes and ears, we can't see and we can't hear the way that we should. And that is our spiritual condition. That's what it's like to be born into this world. We're born blind and deaf. And the big problem is we don't know it. We struggle to acknowledge our real condition if we're ever able to acknowledge it at all. And it's interesting here. The Lord is talking about His people. He says this in verse 21. The Lord was pleased for His righteousness sake to magnify His law and to make it glorious. Here's what He's saying. I gave my law to my people. I gave my law to my servant. I gave them the light in order that they would see. And what happened? His people rejected the light. All the light did was it caused the people to sin more and more. In other words, it caused the people to go into more deafness And more blindness. That's the spiritual condition that God begins to talk about. Now skip over to 43 verses 22 and 24. So in the next chapter, verses 23 through 24. He goes on to describe what his people are like. And he says, "Um, "...Jacob did not call on me for help. You did not call on me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel." It's interesting, he says that instead of my people actually calling on me for help or looking to me for for any of their help, they didn't do that. They actually got tired of me being around. And then in growing tired of Yahweh, instead of bringing to him what his law commanded, they didn't bring him all the things that they were supposed to. What did they bring? Look at the middle of verse 24. You have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities instead of bringing sacrifices to God to atone for their sins, they brought him more and more sins. And what God essentially says is, you got tired of me, well, guess what? I got tired of you as well. The more sin they brought, the more tired they got. Now, the more tired the Lord got. Now, so what's the source of this sin? Where does this sin come from? And in chapter 44, verses 9 through 20, you get to the source, the root of the problem. So there in 44, verses 9 through 20, Isaiah begins to flesh out what the root is. The root sin and the sin behind every sin, the sin behind deafness and blindness, the spiritual condition of God's people is idolatry. And this is true of our sin as well. The root behind every sin is idolatry. Now, in verses nine through twenty, what Isaiah is doing—it's kind of like he shifts focus a little bit, and it would be kind of odd for him to introduce this unless you know how things are working out. He said God's people have sinned. He said that there's uh, that they haven't brought God the appropriate atonement for sin, and the reason for it is because they're idolaters. They don't worship God; they worship idols. And then in this section, I'm not going to go through all of it, but he talks about the foolishness of idolatry. He says it's really just kind of silly what people will do. They, they make idols themselves. And how do they make it? Well, in the Old Testament, you had craftsmen. You have craftsmen who are workers in metal and workers in wood. And he said that the metal workers would mine the metal. They would melt the metal down. They would look at this block of metal and say, I'm going to worship that thing. And then he said, those that work in wood, they, they plant a tree, they water the tree, they nourish the tree, and then they chop the tree down and they say, I'm going to worship that thing. And what do they do in that tree? They chop it up into pieces and some of it they use to cook their food and some of it they use to make themselves warm and some of it they make into the statue that they can worship. And Isaiah says, that is just foolishness, but that's the nature of idolatry. Idolatry makes us fools. Idolatry, in another way of saying it, makes us blind to its foolishness. That's the nature of sin. That's the source of this sin. And that's the source of our spiritual condition, our blindness and deafness before God. And you might be thinking that, well, that's all fine for those that are outside of the church, but I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I come to church. I don't need to worry about idolatry. I've been saved well, we need to remember that this section, Isaiah is addressing to God's Old Testament church, His people who should have known better. Idolatry in the church has blinded them to their spiritual condition. And all the while, they do many of the right things. They're showing up at the right times. And some of them are probably even still doing some of the, uh, the sacrifices they're supposed to And yet they're blinded by their idolatry. So here's my question for you Where are your blind spots this morning? What idols are you worshiping that are blinding you to itself? And here's a great way to figure it out. It's easy for me to say, you know, to ask that question, where are your blind spots, and then just leave you. But how do you actually find out where your blind spots are? Where are your idols? Um, There's a couple different ways that you can do it. One of the most famous ways is to open up your checkbook and see where all your money goes. Where your money goes, that's probably very closely related to an idol. But here's another way, something that's much more um, pressing on you now. Where is your mind going as you're listening to me preach? Because your mind is wandering. I know it is, and it's okay. When I listen to people preach, my mind goes other places as well. I know it happens. It's okay. It's okay. Um, where does it go whenever you're listening to someone speak about Jesus and preach about really important things? If you trace that out, that's probably, wherever your mind is, that's probably very closely related to an idol that you worship other than Jesus. There's your spiritual condition. You can listen to someone talking about the most important things of the world and your mind goes somewhere else. If that doesn't get to the root of the real problem, to our real spiritual condition, I don't know what is what what can But there it is there's our spiritual condition idolatry darkness blindness Well God has a response to that God says I'm going to do something about that but here we get to see God's unusual work to our spiritual condition You see this in chapter 42 verses 24 and 25 and then also in 43 verses 14 and 15 In 42 24 and 25 God says who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderer? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, and whose law they would not obey? So we have identified the main problem. The main problem is idolatry. And now we say, well, well, we know what needs to be done. God should just reach down, save his people all at once, get rid of all the idols so that we're done with it all together. And that would be the right thing to do. But for reasons that God knows, but we don't, That isn't how God operates. Let me give you an example of it. There's an episode in the New Testament in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26, almost toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, right before he's going to be crucified, where some some people bring a blind man to Jesus for healing. And Jesus could have immediately just snapped his fingers or said a word and the man would have received his, his sight, but he didn't do that. He takes this blind man out of the village and and probably away from the people of the village, away from the people that brought him to Jesus. He takes him away and then he takes the man and he spits in his eyes and he covers the man's eyes, takes his hand off and he says, what do you see? The man says, I see men, but they look like trees walking. What does that mean? Okay, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what that means. Well, then Jesus puts his hands over his eyes again, and then he removes them, and the man can see perfectly. There's a couple of different things that we can learn from this, but i got to tell you, that's an episode that makes my mind spin. Like, what is going on there? But there are a few things that I think we can learn from that. It's a reminder to that man and to us That Jesus saves when and how and through the means that he will save. Sometimes the Lord restores in an instant. Sometimes his healing or his saving takes a very long time. There's other examples that we have even from the people in this room as you're sitting here. Some of you were born into the faith, never knowing a day when you did not profess faith in Jesus Christ. Well, some of you were saved by Jesus later in life and only professed faith, as the hymn says, through many trials and tribulations. And then the other reality is that some of you maybe have been here listening in this church for a long time to the gospel message and you still have not truly professed faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder to us that God saves when and how and through the means that He chooses. And God always does that for His glory. Whether He saves in the womb or He saves an individual after 75 years of rebellion, it's always a miracle because the spiritual condition is the same. That's unusual, but that's the way that God operates. It's also true... And unusual, I think, that God disciplines His people. Part of God's saving work for His people is to teach them a lesson, not as a way to be mean, but as a way to instill in His people a sense of appreciation and thanksgiving for His saving work. You see this in chapter uh, in uh, forty two twenty four, uh, where God says that He's given; He's the one that's given His children up for looting and plundering. Why? Because they sinned against God. They had forgotten their first love, and Yahweh disciplined His children. He did so that they would would learn not to sin against Him. But His lesson didn't stick, and His children still sinned. So what did He do? Well, you see this in 43 verses uh, 14 and 15. He sends the Babylonians and the Chaldeans... That's what he says there. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. There's a couple different ways that you can take that passage. It means either that God sends the Babylonians and the Chaldeans uh, as an invading army, or it means that God has removed the Chaldeans and Babylonians as fugitives. There's a few different ways that you can understand it, but either way that you see it, both of those things are true because God sends the Babylonians and the Chaldeans to take his people into exile. It's an amazing thing that we see here and it's very unusual. It's the same thing that you parents do whenever you find your children in sin because the punishment you hand out is harsher and harsher as their disobedience continues. First thing Yahweh does is he sends an invading army to Jerusalem in order to get their attention. And when that doesn't work, God actually sends Israel in exile to those invading nations. And he does it to get their attention. Now, why does Yahweh do this? He tells us in the very middle there of verse 14, what does he say? For your sake I send to Babylon. Have you parents ever told your children that as you've punished them? I'm doing this for your sake. Because the reality is, and I know this is hard for children to understand, parents do not like punishing their children. We don't like do that, but we do it because we know that a little sin today ends up being a big sin tomorrow. The Lord operates the same way. He says it's for your sake that I'm doing this. He disciplines his children because he loves his children. Now today, you might be experiencing part of that discipline from the Lord. I don't know, you know, the ins and outs of your particular situation. I don't know exactly why things are happening. I think oftentimes when we try to figure out why, a lot of times it's divining something that God doesn't want us to know, and that's sin. But here's what I do know, and here's what we can know for sure If you belong to the Lord, every trial and tribulation that arises in your life is for your sake. Meaning, it's for your good. And that is very, very hard to hear. But it's true. It's hard, even in the hard things. Maybe especially in the hard things. It's true in the hard things that they are for your good because. What those hard things are meant to do, it's meant to let, get you to stop clinging so tightly to the idols that you depend on, to lessen them so that you can then cling to Jesus. So if you're experiencing trial and hardship right now, what should you do? Cling to Jesus. Let go of the things that you hope will bring relief that aren't Jesus and cling to Jesus. Well, God gives a final answer. You see this in chapter 43, verses 1 through 13, and then 43, 16 through 21, and then 25, uh, verse 25 through 44, 8. Here's the reality. Our spiritual condition is bad. God uses unusual methods to get our attention. He uses discipline, but discipline isn't enough. I wish that it was. I wish that I could discipline my children and that, it, and that it would be enough for them to learn the lesson, but oftentimes it doesn't because our hearts are so thoroughly broken and sinful that, that we need more than punishment. Do you get that? You need more than punishment. I'm not saying you need more punishment. And God knows that. We need grace. We need, as we're going to sing in a minute, grace, grace. God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sins. And that is exactly what Yahweh gives. You see this all through this passage, but in 43 verses 1 through 13, you see these incredible words. Look in 43.1. God says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. It's an amazing thing that he says. He gives us his grace. He calls us by name. And then he says, you belong to me. Then look at verse 2, more of that unusual work that God does. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. God doesn't say that He's going to keep you from the overwhelming flood or He's going to keep you out of the fire. He says, no, when you go through the water and you go through the fire, I am with you so that it will not overwhelm you. That's God's great work for us. He is with us when we pass through the fire and when we go through the water. Where is God in the midst of your trial and tribulation? He is with you. And then look at verses 3 and 4. What does the Lord really think about you? What does God think about you? Well, He knows you deep down. He knows you in all the places that you don't want anyone else to know. I recently read a novel. It's not a Christian novel, or um, written by a Christian. It's it's, um, and it's a, it really was a fascinating novel to read. But but there was in this novel, a man went to the judgment. He he had to stand for judgment, um, and it's an accurate description of judgment. This is what he says: they're facing his judgment. The examination didn't stop. Every lie, at every told. Every object he had stolen. Every hurt he had inflicted on another person. All the little crimes and the tiny murders that make up the day. Each of these things and more were extracted and held up to the light. It's an accurate picture of what judgment is. That this man was laid bare. He was known fully. Well, God knows all those things about you as well. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. And what does the Lord think about you? Verse 4, this is what he says. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples, in exchange for your life. What peoples? Well, he mentioned in the the, uh, verse above, Egypt and Cush and Seba. These were all great lands full of wealth and full of amazing things. And God says, I don't want all of those amazing things. Do you know what I want? I want you. He says, I would trade all the riches in the world for you. Now, He knows you. He knows what you're like deep down. He knows you better than you know yourself. And God still Loved you. We live in a world where celebrities are absolutely adored by their fans and loved by people who are very far away from them. But their families and their loved ones can't stand them because they're rotten individuals and you can't get close to them. But God gets close to you. He knows you deep down and he loves you anyway. That's God's grace. That's what we see in this passage Have you learned just how much God loves you? Have you seen it? Have you heard it? You need to hear it right now that God loves and adores you. He draws you close to Himself and He will not let you go. You need to believe that today. You see Jesus as the proof of God's love that Jesus Christ came to live the life that you could not live to die the death that you deserve to die. And He rose to new life so that you could have new life in Christ Jesus. He did all of that because He loves you. Now, do you hear the voice of your loving Father today? Or are you deaf to His love? I pray that you can hear it. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for giving us this message today, and I pray that all of us here would hear of your love, that we would hear your voice, that we would see and behold Jesus Christ as the proof of your great love, that we would be overwhelmed by that, and we would live our life in light of that, that we might cherish and love and appreciate you, and that would be displayed in our life. Father, this can only happen if your spirit works in our midst, And we pray that you would work. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to close by singing our uh, final hymn.